Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. All right, before we get started, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? My name is Bobby Adams Brown. I am based in um, Sassoon, California, which is between San Francisco and Sacramento. And my private practice is Speech Bubble Therapy. Fantastic. So Bobby, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically what you were doing before you started to get into private practice? Of course. Well, I was exposed to speech therapy because my sister is autistic. Mm -hmm. um, we prefer to be called autistic in, in case anyone wonders why I don't say person with autism. Mm -hmm. um, but my sister's autistic and um, she was originally nonverbal and a uh, speech therapist taught her how to communicate. Wow, cool. Um, I was in high school at the time, um, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And um, that, that really uh, altered, altered my path in a lot of different ways. Uh, my first degree is in education, mm -hmm. but I decided to keep going because I was very motivated to help uh, the students that uh, people find hard to work with. Nice. Um, once I graduated, I, I basically altern, uh, alternated every year between contracting in schools and working in a private practice. Um, and uh, actually, I, I decided to move to the Bay Area. Um, I was living for a time in, in San Diego. And whenever I was interviewing for different jobs in the Bay Area, I was looking at a part-time, just on-the-side job with this psychologist we really hit it off and he asked me if I would be interested in helping him open a private practice. Hmm. And to me, it was, it was just a long, uh, like a far off dream, a thing that I had always thought that maybe I would do one day. 
Um, but you know, I just didn't have the money or the know-how or any of that stuff. But now I had somebody who had opened a business before. And, um, so I started to learn about it on his behalf. I wanted to be a good employee. I wanted to show that I was worth it. And, uh, one of the things that he, he, uh, did was he bought per my request your uh your program the independent clinician no way that's awesome how to open a private practice fantastic and um, i joined all the groups and um he ended up whenever it was time to like maybe maybe purchase an office space um he decided you know it was too risky it was too much work <laughs> he didn't want to do it and um I was disappointed, but at that point I had already figured out that I didn't need him for me to be able to open a private practice. I had learned that, you know, I could do it in my home or I could do it in the homes of my clients that I could start off private pay even before insurance um, mm -hmm. since insurance does put off when you get paid. So I could do private pay. Um, and basically that I did have the resources that I needed once I decided it was a good time. And um, I, was, I was working in someone else's private practice and, um, you know, I had a long commute and I did love my job, um, but I found a home close to my in-laws for a good price at the right time of year. I'd just gotten married mm -hmm. and I'd always said, because I thought that I would move there one day yeah. down the line when I could afford it because it's California. Mm -hmm. um, but I found a house and I thought, well, I can't work for someone else's private practice in this town where I plan on living for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's time for me to, to do my own private practice. So I decided to, um, to continue to contract in the schools because I have done it before. Um, you know, I make sure that I, I don't see any clients from the same school district where I work. Some districts are okay with it, but some are not. Um, so I don't risk it. I, I work with other clients. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm in the launch phase and I'm doing my business on the side doing, you know, just slowly growing the business. I love it. That's fantastic. I mean, that's a really cool story to say that like, essentially an opportunity fell into your lap with the psychologist, right? This wasn't really something that you were planning. That sounds like something maybe they were planning and then push come to shove, they got out and you got in. Exactly. And right? that's exactly what happened. That's the coolest thing ever. So, okay, so you you had this inkling that maybe this is something you would do someday. All of a sudden, someday seemed to be happening sooner. Right. You you moved, you kept this uh, some school contract jobs, and then what happened next? Well, um, basically not too long after I bought my house, I went ahead and I got my business license. I did a lot of researching online for the things I needed to do. Um, and I was really scared at the beginning because it seemed like everything. I was just out of my depth. Um, I know there was uh, on some sort of paperwork for the corporation license in, in California. Um, it basically said you needed a, oh, I can't remember exactly what they called it, but basically a person who lived in California to represent your business. Yeah. Not yeah. a legal attorney, but just mm -hmm. someone who lived in California. And I almost hired someone to do that. Mm -hmm. I live in California. I can, I can represent my own business. Yeah. 
And um, it took, you know, me making some phone calls with the Secretary of State's office and saying, what does this mean? What does that mean? And then I was like, wait a second. And uh, yeah, they're, you know, they're genuinely pretty helpful over there. Like if you just call this, like they know that sometimes the people who are starting businesses don't have a business background. And so when you have, I always tell people, if you have a question about, you know, forming entities or um, getting business licenses, all that stuff, just call like either your secretary of state's office or the town clerk where you live or whatever. They know all of this stuff. You trying to figure it out and spending hours like with search engines or asking people online who may or may not know correct information is really honestly kind of a waste of time. Just go you know, straight to the people who actually know, get them to tell you the answer so that you can keep moving forward. Yes, and that was exactly the point that I was at. I was spending so much time just trying to research even what paperwork needed to be done. Um, you know, there was some confusion at the beginning because in California, you can't be an LLC as a speech pathologist. Um, you can be a sole proprietor or you can um, have a corporation. And so I almost, you know, paid and submitted for LLC paperwork that wasn't going to work. I wasn't in the right profession for it. Um, and so it took some time, but um, yeah, once I talked to the secretary of state, I was like, man, I just wasted so much time. I could have just made a phone call. Totally. But you made your phone call and then you kept moving forward. So, so what happened after that? Well, I, uh, I started seeing clients. Um, I, I made my website. It was one of the first things that I did. Um, I didn't know about search engine optimization or anything. I'm still working on that, but, um, you know, I, I went on Squarespace. They have a bunch of templates. I use their dental office template because it looked the closest to what I needed. And really that kind of gave me the form of, of how I wanted things to look. And I modified it from that. And, um, uh, after I submitted my, my business paperwork, trying to get ready with, you know, the state and with my town, I also um, uh, decided to get a logo created. Um, I had been trying to uh, do it on my own. You know, I had made business cards before for myself whenever I worked in other jobs. And it just didn't have the right feel to it because I really didn't know what I was doing. And so I asked in some group and someone told me about Logotournament.com. And uh, for you to make a logo on logotournament.com, you have to pay like $250 at, at the bare minimum. And at first I thought that is a scary steep price. I don't know, but I tried several times to make my own logo and it wasn't going well. Um, and so for logo tournament, you, you kind of make, um, you know, a list of the kinds of things you're looking for, the kind of practice you have, if you have a website, and what people do is they, all over the world, they'll compete to create your logo. And they have three different um, phases. The first phase is where a bunch of people make you logos. Um, they can't see anybody else's logo. So everything is more original because they don't know what anyone else has done. The second phase is where um, they can see each other's work. They get something more in line with what you're looking for. And then the third phase is you pick your top few and you submit things that you want them to kind of change or alter. 
and then you decide. And whoever, whatever design you pick, um, they're the ones who win the $250. Nice. Uh, so people are essentially competing to win your favor and have like the final product. Absolutely. And I got more than a hundred different logos. Wow. That's fantastic. I did that with um, my book cover design for the guide to private patients way back when 99 designs was first started. Mm. So 99 designs, I think was maybe one of the first of its kind to do essentially that same thing. Um, but I've seen you post about logo tournament in, in the SLP private practice beginners Facebook group and a couple other places. And I know that you had a really good experience with them. So I think that sounds like it's something worth checking out for people who are in need of a logo. Absolutely. And one of the things that was great about it was I was able to essentially make surveys. So I could make a link with my top 10 choices or whatever, and people could vote on which ones they liked and leave comments about what they thought. And, you know, as I said, I am working in a school um, in an area near where I live. And so what I did was I asked my coworkers to complete the survey. Um, you know, they sent me a text. I sent them the link. They did it. I went in mom groups and I said, hey, I'm opening up a private practice. So that, that builds awareness. And I'm deciding on a logo. Could you vote on which one you like? And so I did several rounds. And one thing that surprised me was I had always, when I made my business cards, I always used a light bulb in a speech bubble. Because I was trying to say, oh, it's a good idea, right? That was what I was trying to call to. And um, so initially, whenever I talked to designers, that was one of the things that I mentioned. Hey, you know, sometimes this is how I do it. And so there are several designers who did it, and I loved it. But whenever I actually did my market, you know, research, they didn't understand it. You know, the people weren't understanding what I was trying to convey. They didn't understand why I was bringing electricity and speech therapy together. Yeah. And so as much as I loved the light bulb designs, you know, I ultimately had to go with what people liked better. And they liked, well, my speech bubbles with a little heart in between. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're totally right. Like you have to ask your target market, right? Because yeah. you can ask like your favorite aunt, you can ask, you know, your spouse, you can ask other people, but unless they're the ones who are actually going to be signing their kid up for speech therapy with you, they're not really your target demographic. And they may have, as you said, it sounded like it, it was like difficulty interpreting what your, you know, idea was like, you know, there, you know, there's like color and there's font and all those kind of other things that go into a logo. But if you have something more conceptual as part of your logo, you certainly have to make sure that your audience understands what that is. So that was, that was a good thing to say, oh, you know what? Huh. I should shift gears. This is what I like, but I'll listen to the people. Right. It's like, is my logo for me or is my logo to convince people to choose me? Well, if it's about them, then I need to pick something that they like. I love it. I love it. So kind of in line with this and with, with having people choose you, um, how has marketing been going? Where are you getting your clients from? Um, mostly word of mouth, actually. Um, I tried Facebook ads at the beginning and um, it wasn't very successful for me in part because, you know, it, the area that I live in, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm private pay only right now. I don't take any insurance and it's going to be hard to convince the people in my area who don't know me to, you know, because I moved to a new area to pay out of pocket for a stranger. Um, so I, I am a, a certified autism specialist, um, with a, a long background in autism. And so it's mostly someone looked for an autism specialist and told someone else who was looking for a speech therapist who understood autism. And so it's really gone more that vine instead mm -hmm. of me just targeting an area. Now that does have drawbacks because I'm driving an hour to see each client wow. because I'm about an hour from several major cities since I'm on the fringe of the Bay Area. And right now that's kind of the toss up for me. Um, you know, I, I had to choose a price that made it worthwhile to do it on the side and the people who are willing to pay the price are an hour from me, and I'm not yet willing to pay for an office an hour from me. So that means I do a lot of driving. Right. And everyone always talks about California in terms of driving, <laughs> like that you people drive a lot. It's yeah. true. Yeah, it's true. Okay. So, all right. So you're, so you're getting your clients mostly through word of mouth. What does, and this may vary quite a bit, but what does a typical day look for you at this point? Um, Right now, um, I see clients about four hours a week. I have uh, one client that likes to see me a lot and two clients who see me, you know, weekly. And um, so once a week, you know, I go through, you know, essentially my nine to five, you know, I, I work a school day, then I drive an hour um, to my client and I spend an hour there and then I drive an hour back home but luckily the rate, the rate that I chose makes it worthwhile as divided among the three hours that I spend to see that client. And then on Saturdays, um, I see all of my clients. So um, since they're all mostly in, in the, the Bay Area, you know, um, it's, it's a drive, but I'm able to do them all at once. That cuts down really the cost and the travel time among three clients instead of just one. But right now I'm not too picky because, um, you know, they understood when they started with me since I was just starting out that, um, and, and we had these conversations that I was new, I was figuring it out, um, that I was going through my documentation paperwork, like right now I'm a sole proprietor until my corporation paperwork comes back. And so for right now, you know, checks will be made out to, you know, to me until it becomes my business, you know, all of these things. And so I did offer my initial clients a reduced rate. That was still a rate that I thought was worthwhile, but not as much as what my goal price was because, you know, I'm figuring out billing, I'm figuring out marketing and time and all that stuff. Yeah. Totally. I think, right. So, the, so you're being kind to yourself and also honest with your clients to say, Hey, I'm figuring this out. There may be some new paperwork. You may have somebody else or a different name to write out, you know, checks to or, or whatever. So yeah, I think that that's, that's awesome. So what does the future look like? Like in terms of the next couple of months, even up to a year, where do you think that you'll be, you know, this time next year, let's say? Well, you know, I'm a little cautious, you know, I'm, uh, like I said, I bought a house in California, so you have to be mindful of the cost of living. Yeah. Um, and so slow and steady is kind of my path right now. 
I took a contract job because um, I know it's going to be easier once I have more clients, if my business takes off, to slowly cut down my days or take other jobs where I still have enough money to ensure that I can pay my mortgage. Um, but a year from now, I, I hope that maybe I'm seeing, uh, I'm in the schools maybe three days a week, that I'm seeing my other clients on the other two days that I can start to choose a day that I will serve as an area. So I'm not driving an hour for each client that I will see all of my clients in that particular area for a day. And I'm also hoping that I start to get clients a little bit closer to me once people know that uh, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Well, good. I think that sounds like a a plan. I think that, you know, you're thinking about it logically and also leaving it up to, you know, seeing what happens, but continuing to put yourself out there in the meantime to try to build, build things closer to home. Um, do you have anything else that you want to share um, with our audience in terms of tips or other things you're doing or anything else? Um, a tip I have is whenever I first started, I really felt conflicted about opening up an office Um, you know, renting an office space. And I also put a lot of time and worry into making my home office. Mm -hmm. And then it turned out that for right now, until people know me, the people who are willing to take a chance are about an hour away. Um, So I kind of advise, unless you're kind of well-known in the area, that you kind of let the area get to know you first. Um, and try and keep expenses low because I definitely could not have sustained the business if I was spending, you know, $700 or $900 a month on, you know, a rent space in California in a town where people aren't willing to pay privately. I think, um, uh, you know, I think I will rent an office space once I take insurance and I'll probably wait to take insurance until I'm ready to be full-time because I know with insurance I could be full-time, but I'm just not ready for, for that um, risk yet. I'm, I'm cautious. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's okay. I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm also cautious to a point. I think my, my wife is way more cautious than I am, but, um, you, you have to be cautious when it comes to this stuff because you, you don't want to put yourself, your private practice, your family, you know, in jeopardy, but at the same time, if you don't take some calculated risks, Absolutely. You won't get to where you want to be. Absolutely. And um, one of the uh, calculated risks that I decided to take um, was I uh, started selling things on Teachers Pay Teachers. Um, yeah, tell us about that. Risk that I could think of. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I uh, saw some of the things that you've written before and, and other professionals about Um, how great it can be to have a passive income if you have something that people want. Um, And whenever I've worked in all of my jobs, every time there's been a different evaluation tool, a different uh, test, um, I've always wanted to try it. I like seeing all the different kinds of information that's out there. And I kept going to a new job and saying, oh, do you have any templates because some jobs already have it written out. This is what our report looks like. This is how we want everything to look. But I worked several jobs that didn't, Mm -hmm. which meant I had to reinvent the wheel. And 
then I would start a different job and I would reinvent that wheel. And that's, well, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy for very little um, gain. <laughs> Uh, so whenever I switched to the schools this time and they didn't have a template, but, um, they did let me order a bunch of new assessments. I decided, you know what, I'm going to make a template that's, that anybody could use. Uh, so, you know, for instance, like the Tills, um, the Resca, um, the new Castle, the new Arizona, you know, it was fun to play with all these tests, but whenever... I was trying to look up how other people wrote their tests. There weren't that many options online. And so I decided to take the time and the energy to sit there and figure it out. What's the best way to show this test? What's the best way to save time that I could use with any of my kids who, who's within this testing range? And that was, that was really how um, speechtherapytemplates.com came about. I said, okay, here are two problems. Uh, the first problem is that, you know, clinicians, myself included, are wasting a lot of time just explaining what a test is and making the charts and formatting and fonts and all that stuff before they're even able to write anything about, about what happened and what it means. Um, you know, hours sometimes, especially for those longer tests. But then the second problem is that even when clinicians have spent hours writing these tests, a lot of times the family doesn't even understand what it means when they get it. And, uh, you know, for me, um, my, my sister had an IEP growing up and I would go to these meetings. This was before I was a speech pathologist and we would be handed reports and uh, we never looked at them again because we didn't know what they meant. And Someone worked really hard on those reports. Right. Someone spent hours and hours doing it. I mean, that happens all the time. Families and even other professionals. I mean, how many reports have you gotten on someone that you're working with that you've read cover to cover? Like not a lot, right? I mean, yeah. I tend to, you know, read the background, you know, skim it certainly, but otherwise I'm on to like the summary and the recommendations and just want to see, you know, we just don't have a lot of time as, as clinicians, right? To figure all this stuff out. So I love that you... I liked your thought process and how you explained that, right? That you identified two problems. There was the problem from the clinician's point of view and then the problem from the family's point of view. So I think that that's really a valuable service that you have, have found a need in the marketplace and you've decided to fill it. So can you remind the listeners where they can take a look at your forms? Templates, uh, sorry, forms, templates. Uh, my templates are um, <laughs> on speech therapy templates com. That's with an S at the end. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping to uh, ultimately, uh, and maybe by the time this broadcast, make a, uh, a blog so that I can review some of the new assessments. I know sometimes people are scared of using a new assessment because they uh, don't know what it's going to be like. And um, so I would love to do that kind of thing. But until then, I guess I'll just save people, save people some time, I guess. I think that sounds fantastic. Um, any last parting wisdom or advice or anything before we wrap up? I would say that sometimes the Chamber of Commerce in your area is underutilized. I didn't even think about going. Um, one of my coworkers at the school suggested it because she knew I had a private practice. And 
And, you know, it can be lonely sometimes opening up a business because there are all these things that you have to concern yourself with, you know, the legalities of this, that, the forms, what has to be submitted. And, you know, sometimes I would find myself in a conversation with somebody and all they could really do was shrug because they didn't really know even if what I was talking about was good or bad. And it felt very lonely. And I finally started to go to these events and it's other people who are trying to help their business, but also trying to meet people. And I started to really feel like I belonged in the community, but also that I belonged as an entrepreneur because I was the same as, as all of them, even if someone's, uh, you know, trying to start his DJ business. Mm-hmm. There's licensed stuff that he has to know and, and how to meet people. And I need to hope that when he hears that some parents looking for a speech therapist, he'll think of me. And I know at this point, if someone tells me they're looking for a DJ, I'm going to mention him. Yeah. So I I wish I would have done that earlier. I think that my business might've already been a bit more successful than it is. If I would have really tried to connect to the community that I'm in by being in the chamber of commerce. I think that's fantastic advice. Um, Yeah. Chamber of commerce, chamber of commerce is great. Also, um, BNI groups, uh, Business Networking International is another kind of thing where they have like, uh, they've got groups, you go meet with people, anything to put your name out there because you're right, you just don't know who you're going to meet and who is going to be a part of their community. And people like to support local business people. And we sometimes as private practitioners don't think of ourselves as much as a local business as like the bookstore and the bakery and whatever but we are. So, um, you know, people want to support us, but they have to know about us in order to support us. So, so, you know, Bobby, I am just so proud of you for having this opportunity fall in your lap and going for it. And now not only have you started your private practice, but you now have this other, you know, side venture going on Um, selling digital products and who knows where that might lead for you. So anyway, thank you so much for doing this interview and for sharing this information with our listeners. And I wish you the best of luck and I hope that you'll keep in touch and let us know how you're going. Absolutely. And thank you for your mentorship. Your products really set me at ease, making sure that I was doing things the right way and worrying about the right things. Awesome. Well, on that note, Um, be well, take care and let's be in touch. All right. All right. Take care, Bobby. All right. Bye. Bye. Now that you've listened to the podcast, I hope that you're all fired up to help more people while making more money. If you need help starting or growing your private practice, I can help. I have created tons of high quality resources for beginning through established private practitioners alike to help you save time, money, and confusion. Just visit www.privatepracticeinfo.com and get instant access to everything from startup guides to marketing plans to ongoing support and mentorship and more. Listen, private practice can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. My job is to simplify the process for you so that you can do what you do best, help people. But first, you have to help yourself. 
Just go to www.privatepracticeinfo.com and get the resources you need to succeed today. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.